Oh, my stars, Steve. My stars and stripes. We have some exciting news. Shall we tell them? We should reveal that Shinwag is hitting the road again and going on a West Coast tour. Yes, that's right. If you missed us in your fair city, truly, friends, don't fret, don't fear, don't have a panic attack. <laughs> Do not panic. We will be recording live Chinwags in May in Los Angeles, Portland, and Seattle. Yes, in L.A., we'll be at Dynasty Typewriter on May 14th. You can go to chinwagpod.fm slash Los Angeles for tickets. And on May 16th, we're going to be in Portland at Revolution Hall. For those tickets, go to chinwag.fm slash Portland. And we'll be at Town Hall, the great town hall in Seattle on May 17th. For tickets to that, go to chinwagpod.fm slash Seattle. You do not want to miss this. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be mighty, mighty. So get your tickets at chinwagpod.fm, and we will see you there. Come on out, waggers. Come out, waggers. Come out. (laughs) Come out of hiding. Welcome to another titillating, exciting episode of Chinwag. I am your host, Paul Giamatti, here with my good pal and partner, Stephen Asma. Uh, I know, like me, Steve, you've always been very interested in dreams, dreaming. Always. Yeah, consciousness, dreams, things like that. So I know I'm wicked amped up, as are you, for our next guest, Dr. Deirdre Barrett. Yeah, and she is uh, a uh, professor at Harvard Medical School and a foremost expert on dreams, hypnosis, and evolutionary psychology. She's also the author of many books, including The Committee of Sleep and The Pregnant Man and Other Cases from a Hypnotherapist's Couch. Exciting stuff. Yeah, and if that's not enough, she is also an accomplished artist, uh, painter, I believe. uh, And I think she puts like some of her dream imagery into the paintings as well. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're curious to know why we dream, what your dreams mean, the evolution of consciousness, this is the very podcast for you. You'll also hear about, oh gosh, I don't know, precognitive dreams, dream incubation, intuition, Coincidence? Cats and dogs? Like, do mm-hmm. cats dream? Do dogs dream? What about gorillas? Yeah, what about Coco the talking gorilla? Post-traumatic <laughs> dreams? The evolution <laughs> of dreams? Lucid dreams? Murderous dentists? <laughs> it's all there. It's yes. all there. Anyway, let's get to it. Presenting now, self-described killjoy, Dr. Deirdre Barrett. Steve, let me ask you a personal question. Okay. <laughs> do, you have, do you have a mother, Steve? I do indeed. Fantastic. Don't we all? Yeah, well, yes, we all do, but I'm sure you're a good son and you love your mother, don't you, Steve? Uh, uh, the best. I'm like legendary. Very good. <laughs> Very good. 
Well, I got a tip for you. You could really win Mother's Day. Win your mother over on Mother's Day. Cement your reputation as this really good son. Give your mom an Aura digital picture frame. Have you heard of these things, Steve? Yes, I have. They're loaded up with decades of photos. You can just like hook them up to the phone and then you get the photos running through it, kind of scrolling through it. You seen these things? Yeah, they're great. They're really cool. Yeah, and you can get everything uh, and pictures of your mom, pictures of whoever, your family, your brothers, all, all these things. They're a wonderful item. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code word CHINWAGPOD at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Nice to meet you. I'm a big fan of your films. This is, I'm really, thank you for doing this. Because yeah, thank you. I've always wanted to talk to someone like you about this stuff because I'm fascinated by dreams and have been since I was a little kid like you. And it's like, so anyway, thank you. Well, that's great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do the thing that you probably find most irritating because <laughs> people probably come up to you to, at parties and at, tell you their dreams and then they want to know what they mean. So I have this dream not that long ago, <laughs> and uh, it was, I was sitting in front of a piano, and there was a huge audience there, and I had to play like a <laughs> nocturne by Chopin, and the music was in front of me, and I'm like really nervous and freaking out, and then I wake up sweating, and the, the thing is, I don't play the piano, so this was like particularly stressful, <laughs> but I do play music, I play guitar, and I had a gig coming up like a, a few weeks later, and I thought maybe this dream is trying to tell me that I should rehearse wow. because I am going to be performing. And so I guess my question is, you know, do dreams in your view have a function like this? Um, yes. I, I Personally, there, there's some people that think that dreams have a function that is, Freud said, wish fulfillment. There are all these. It's threat simulation. It's memory consolidation. Mm -hmm. I I really think that we wouldn't say what is the function of waking thought, at least not expecting a two-sentence answer. You could write a book on that. So I think dreams are the same. I think we're still worrying about all of our usual thoughts and concerns and personal things and professional things and just everything we might think about awake. We're in this very different brain state, but we're still us with our usual interests. So, yes, I don't think that's what all dreams are doing, but I certainly think that some of them are some part of you that's been watching you not practice is getting worried about the not practice and is doing <laughs> and it's interesting but that's cool that's cool because it's like the continuation of thought in the dream state it's like you've unburdened yourself of having to try to be rational in some way and now you can just like let it go and not bother with being rational and just something's going to come through that might be more metaphorical or poetic in some way yeah it's looser like thinking our visual yeah. areas are much more active it's usually got quite a narrative so it's just this um, over-the-top dramatized little play about about it rather than rather than an essay about it although i do think that even though i would assume that just what you said is what it's mainly about since that clicked for you it's always interesting to look at the little details that don't as directly map onto waking life like uh -huh. ask yourself who is schubert to you or why a nocturne or j just to wonder a little bit about why it got cast in that setting rather than simply a dream about the guitar. Uh -huh. 
it's interesting to me just so that because I know you, you seem to talk a lot about this kind of problem solving aspect of mm -hmm. dreaming and and working in that area, and which is what Steve seems to be kind of talking about there. Mm -hmm. And I. I I wonder. I'm going to go right to a completely wacky place because I, this is <laughs> you what always I, do. <laughs> I know, but I want to go right to the wacky place, which is at some point can that shade into? And I just want to know your opinion about this precognitive dreams. Do you believe that that kind of thing is possible? In other words, is it like does the problem solving thing become so profound that you begin to predict things that are going to happen? And because I mean, everybody says they've had these experiences. I claim to have had these experiences. I I know that there's all sorts of theories, Jung and synchronicity and stuff like that. But to what extent is there any belief that well, there's wait, some? What's an example of a precog dream you had? So we so we know what we're dealing with here. <laughs> well, I mean, I've had dreams about people. I mean, I had a series of dreams about somebody who was going to die and then they died. And now, oh. but again, I'm able to step back and go. They were they were they were far enough beforehand. They could have been really about something else. Was I just saying that they were about somebody dying? I've told you the crazy dream I had about seeing the woman. Uh, there's a I had a, a a dream in which I kept repeatedly seeing a photograph of a, an old 40s actress and a name kept coming to me Eleanor Parker and I don't know who this woman is I didn't know who she was so I looked it up when I woke up and she in fact was an actor from the 40s and 50s and about an hour later a friend of mine sent me a thing a link to a movie that he wanted he said I should watch from the 40s with Robert Mitchum and Eleanor Parker and I thought why did that happen and and also just is there some way in which we're so open at that point that, like, we're connecting to something mystical? Or do you not buy any of that at all? Um, yes and no. I, I, I am a Western scientist, mm -hmm. and basically I believe in scientific explanations. Mm -hmm. The things I share, though, are I have had dreams that seem like amazing coincidences with, um, in my case, occasionally things that happen in the future, but also with some dreams somebody else tells me from the same night, things that are more uh, what I guess we're supposed to call clairvoyant than precognitive. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do favored the kind of killjoy explanation mm. which yeah. is a combination well the part that's not killjoy is just kill i really joy. do believe <laughs> in in intuition and uh -huh. that our mind is taking in and processing all sorts of things so when when i wrote my book the committee of sleep there's a whole chapter on the body and dreams about the body uh-huh and there are some really dramatic dreams that look like they're pointing to having a certain illness that the uh -huh. person then gets diagnosed with. Yes, wow. I was really struck that the vast majority of such stories are about illnesses that develop slowly. Uh -huh. They were cancers and they were slow onset neurological illnesses. Uh -huh. Yeah. And they were things where the cancer cells are already in the body. Your immune system knows about it from the first cancer cell. Uh -huh. And eventually it may be pressing on some nerve before a small tumors detected. So I tend to think that our sleeping mind can, once we're shutting off all our usual sensory input, can sense some things, uh -huh. both physically about the body, but also just 
if someone's looked a little sickly to you or somebody mentions them with a concern in their voice but doesn't even say something about that or you know or you know their father died about that age yeah. that that there're just lots of things that don't go through our conscious mind that would add to predictive ability that we're yeah. not aware of. So I think that's the really interesting to to me that to me that part is real. I there's a uh interesting I'd be curious to know what you make of this like there's a kind of uh brain sort of system called the default mode network which is seems to be awake and active during dreaming and also during mm-hmm. like waking imagination and it my understanding of it is crude but it's sort of like the the sort of frontal areas that are kind of the executive, like editorial, rational part of your brain sort of goes quiet. And then these more associational parts of the brain seem to come to the fore. And I wonder if that helps you have more intuitions like you're describing, like maybe you did detect something in another person's body or your own body, but it was not, it was being edited out by the, you know, the frontal policeman of the brain. Uh Uh And then in the dream, it sort of gets off the leash and can't, you know what I mean? Does this make sense? Yeah. The, um, I mean, that network is what is most active when we're awake, but our mind is just wandering. But it definitely starts up more when we don't have the sensory input in in different parts of sleep even, but especially during dreaming sleep. But also we have some other things that are not as true of the regular default network, which is our visual areas are just going wild. And this is where the killjoy part comes in. (laughs) I think think that humans radically underestimate coincidence. That like, Uh if something is a one in a million coincidence, Mm. you feel like that means it can't happen. But over all our dreams, we dream about more than a million people and more than a million kind of events and this and that. And I think that we pay attention to things that that then tie into something else important. So every time you dreamed about some friend from kindergarten who you hadn't thought of in 20 (laughs) years, and then they didn't call you in the next week, (laughs) or you didn't meet someone with (laughs) the same unusual name. There are just so many ways even one element can map onto things that you would you know, your meaning detector, because it's just from an evolutionary survival perspective, it's worse to miss some meaningful relationship between things than to occasionally think there's one when when there's not. So I think that we think that they're just many fewer things that we could have coincidence. I will say though, no, that's, and I think that's interesting. And, and, but I will say, I, I see again, I tend to go the more wacky end of things because I'm just, I just want to go there. But I did, it is interesting there. But one time when I lived out in Seattle, I knew a very peculiar guy who told me one day to keep a coincidence journal. He said to me, actually just keep it every time you note one, right? You know, you notice one, write it down. And he said, and pretty soon you're going to get freaked out. And after about two days, I stopped doing it because I noticed so many. But of course, how much I was making sort of connections, I don't know. But it did, it did, it did freak the hell out of me. And I, and I stopped doing it. Um, Well, I'm not saying that those connections aren't there. I'm just saying 
there's so many other potential ones that we don't notice because they're yeah. not happening. That if you sat there and wrote out a journal of all the potential coincidences of every <laughs> element and how it's it, mapped idea. onto every other element in the history of your life. That's a crazy idea. You'd be, you know, you'd be writing one moment. For yeah. Wow. That's like a Borges short that, story. That's yeah. like a crazy, <laughs> like, like it's like a Kafka story or something. <laughs> Write down every possible coincidence that isn't happening to you. Wow, that's a nightmare. That's, that's actually... the thing we just, I'm not saying that that the the connections aren't there. I'm just yes. saying they're this infinite number. Wow, no, that's I think our idea, audience, actually. our audience will be interested to know that Dr. Barrett suggests you write down every coincidence <laughs> you've ever thought of. That's a little out of context. <laughs> no, I, I, so I'm curious though. Out of context. Like why, um, when I was younger, I felt like my dreams were more surreal in this yeah. sort of Salvador Dali sense like yeah. you know animals stitched together and then it's a giant fish coming through and then it's my mother but as i'm getting older like the the my dreams are very sort of pedestrian and yeah. they're just like sitcoms and they're you know yeah. is there is that a general tendency or i'm just getting boring that's just personally yeah. Yeah. <laughs> troubling there's there's just there's a cluster of things which is just how many dreams do you recall? How long and detailed are them? How visually vivid are them? But also, how much how drugs do you do? How, <laughs> how biz no, actually, because because kind of late childhood is is the oh, peak okay. of these things, and I don't hope it's not the peak of that. Um, but um, but anyway, there, there's this cluster of kind of more longer, more vivid by several kinds of measures, including visual. And, and more bizarre. And then if you just ask anything like, do you have flying dreams? Do you have uh -huh. lucid dreams where you know you're dreaming? Like the thing that predicts those best is just any, you know, any, several of these other things. It, the, the people who have one are likelier to have more. And all those traits are very different across some individuals. And like, sounds like Paul and I are just lifelong high on them, but they also, they sort of go up through the early childhood years, kind of peak, late childhood teens, very huh. early 20s, and then very gradually drop off somewhat, but not, you know, not a big cliff on, on average. Now you will find individual variations, but when you're looking at a group and just tracking the average, it's that up for a little while and then fairly slowly dropping off for the rest of your life, yeah. which is like I say, what, what I watch myself. I recall a dream and a half a night on average. And it used to be more than that, but that's still considerably more than the average person of 21. Wait, how do you make a half dream designation like that? Like right away, like, <laughs> I wait, really, it's like, yeah. I, I recall that two is... dreams one night and and one dream the next night is what I mean. Uh, oh, okay. I Those are my most, <laughs> okay. I mean, I have a few zeros and I have a few fours in there. That's a that's an overall. But every night you, you feel like you come out I, retrieving it, it at least. It is very unusual not to recall any dream content. Well, I wow. feel there are plenty where it's one, but there are plenty where it's two. Yeah, I feel like I've the, the kind of early morning I'm right before I'm waking up thing is more now what I'm experiencing and I'm having those dreams and those are tend to be what I'm remembering better now and and they are disappointingly banal. They're really just like I'm at work. I'm like, and and it's not even. They're not even anxiety dreams at work. They're kind of I'm just at work. 
and making it's, tea. It, yeah, making yeah. tea and uh, making a, yeah, I'm working on a movie, and it's just it's the same thing, and it's really too bad because I kind of miss those more. The other thing I found really interesting is that I used to never dream actually very much about people I knew. I always dreamed about these. Uh, I have no idea who they were. And I still find it extraordinary that I could construct a completely fictitious person who is incredibly detailed. I mean, I could describe still some of these people that I've encountered in my dreams, and I have no idea who the hell they are. And, but I, and now I dream more about people I know. It's much more sort of people at work and stuff like that, which is kind of disappointing and, and, and boring. But I used to like to think of the fa I used to like to fancy that I was actually encountering other people who were dreaming at the same time and we were meeting each other. That would be awesome. Right? <laughs> I know. Great. I used to like to think that's what it was. Recurring dreams are really interesting to me too. I mean, uh, yeah. and sort of, and along with that, it's like dream within dream things too. When people sort of, you're dreaming and you wake up in the dream and you're still dreaming. But recurring dreams are, are super interesting to me. Uh, what's the story with that? How is that possible that we have the same recurrent thing is weird to me. Well, that's yet another thing that's more common in childhood and ah. somewhat less common uh, by adulthood, but not, not at all unheard of. That just tends to go with a more vivid dream life. And um, most psychologists think that recurring dreams are the most important ones sort of to your character structure and that, that things you dream once have a little more to do with events that happen that day and sort of one-time situations and that dreams you have over and over are probably some kind of deep characterologic plot uh, that tells you a little more about your worldview than just about how you feel about yesterday. So if, if people are just only occasionally going to do any dream work, we sort of suggest that that last night's dream as the freshest is a good choice, but a recurring dream just as possibly the most kind of personally important. And most recurring dreams are negative. I mean, the average dream uh -huh. is pretty yeah. much in the middle neutral. We have a lot of positive and negative. And there are, some people have wondrous recurring dreams, but they're a lot more scary recurring Seems dreams. like it to me. Yeah, yeah. It anecdotally. Yeah. We've got more on the way with Deirdre Barrett right after a word from our sponsor. This is Paul Giamatti speaking. And this is Stephen Asma. And this episode of Chinwag is sponsored by BetterHelp. It is indeed, Steve. Let me ask you a blunt question. Do you ever feel stuck, Steve? <laughs> I'm serious. Do you ever feel kind of stuck in the mud? Every day, my friend. Yeah. Every damn day. And then what happens is you get overwhelmed because you're kind of stuck, right? True. As I get older, and I am getting older, folks, I may not look at, you may <laughs> think, oh, he's like Dorian Gray. He's going backwards. Yeah, wow. He's, <laughs> he's, he's going backwards. I am getting older, folks. It's hard to believe. The thing I notice is how important it is to maintain a balance. You know, I guess you'd call it work life balance. I don't think I'm alone here, but therapy's helped me do this, this balance. It can help you find equilibrium. It can help you feel more empowered in the decisions you make, the boundaries and priorities you set. It's good in that way. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Sometimes that's hard, right, to find the right person. So this helps. You can change. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with better help. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Chinwag today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Chinwag. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. I had read this theory at one point that um, children don't dream as much as we thought they did. Like, I think they have a lot of REM, but they don't dream. And so the theory was uh, that uh, you actually need language and uh, familiarity with stories because that gives your mind the architecture on which to, to build a dream world. Now, I'm not sure I believe this, but I'm, because I think that kids dream, and I think animals might dream without language. Do animals language. dream? I'm always wondering. Yeah, do so they really I guess, dream? yeah, what's your response to that? all that? Well, I mean, we're, um, we we can ask kids, and kids, uh, again, it go, it, the reported dreams go go up until late, late childhood, but, and definitely some of my colleagues believe that it's because it's verbally rooted. I don't know why, because dreams don't seem like a terribly verbal type of thought process to me. And I think that it, to to my mind, it seems much likelier that, that dream reports and the, and the converting the experience into a verbal narrative that, that you can tell someone is what is increasing through childhood. Since as you, as you said, they are having more REM sleep than an adult. So there's no real way to prove whether anyone is for sure experiencing dreams that they don't recall. Um, except just the more you awaken people out of REM sleep, the more likely they are to recall dreams. So the odds that anytime someone's in REM, there's probably some dreamlike experience, most of which gets lost. Mm. Um, so, so it's not that provable with kids, but I tend to think it's more in the dream report. Animals, however, there's a much bigger issue with dream reports. Uh, they don't talk, uh, at least in <laughs> maybe not to you, dear. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> no my cat definitely talks yes, to me. Yes, uh, my cat tries. My cat uh, no. tr- talks to me, but I don't understand what he's saying. <laughs> what are you saying? Um, sometimes I understand dogs a little bit, but uh-huh. cats not. <laughs> Total mystery. Um, so I'm I'm only aware of two animals that are ever claimed to have reported dreams. What? And um, <laughs> these are the two gorillas that Penny ah. Patterson taught sign language mm-hmm. to. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and Coco is Coco, the most famous right. one. And Coco had the best vocabulary. But Michael, who's still alive, also understands sign language. But his his vocabulary of signs is is still not nearly what what Coco's was uh, during her life. So Penny Patterson says. Um, I did call her up and ask her this. I actually (laughs) wanted to come out and do REM awakenings on her gorillas. Wow. Which she, she, um, did you, did you end up doing that? No, she, uh, she wouldn't, she wouldn't let me. She didn't want Coco sleep disturbed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she didn't particularly suggest it would be dangerous to wake up. Oh, really? Because I was going to say, yeah, yeah, the last thing in the world you need to do is wake up a sleeping gorilla. Hey, wake up. Yeah, no, that's not and, a good and, idea. And she'd already, she'd already been approached, it turned out, by William DeMint, who's a major um, sleep researcher who's, who's since died, but uh-huh. who was physically out much closer to her. But he does a lot more physiologic stuff. So he'd wanted to put electrodes on Coco's head to detect rapid eye movement sleep, which is how it's usually done in sleep labs. But you can actually observe the rapid eye movements under the eyes if Uh there's any ambient. That's how it's done on babies. And that's how the elephant REM studies were done at the Boston Zoo. Uh Um, So I... I didn't want to glue electrodes on on her. I was going to yeah. watch in dim light, but <laughs> but she'd already she'd been asked. She'd sort of gotten the idea. This sounded like it would hassle Coco, but she was willing to talk to me about the fact that she already felt like Coco was occasionally reporting dreams, and what she said was that Coco would not most mornings, but occasionally wake up and tell some impossible fantastic story. Things like huh. car flies through sky, or she cool. talk, talk about <laughs> kissing some person who she actually hadn't seen in waking life for six months. That yeah. she would, and that it was only. And this was distinctly. This was distinct. Yeah. Oh, first thing in the morning, first and distinctly morning different is, from Coco. The rest of the time, Coco yeah. was completely coherent. Yeah, that, that <laughs> she, that Co- yeah, Coco did not make up weird stories later wow. in the day, and she <sighs> didn't. And she said, and she said, this is a very small minority of of mornings where Coco sort of intensely wanted to tell her some just impossible story that she took to be a dream account. And then more touchingly, Michael, who does not have nearly the same vocabulary, the other gorilla who she adopted after she'd had Coco for years, Michael was known to have been captured when his entire family group was attacked by poachers and they uh-huh. killed all the adults where, you know, oh, like they God. take the hands and stuff from them. But the baby gorillas sell for lots and lots of money yeah, to yeah. zoo like things. Yeah. So they killed his entire family in front of him mm-hmm. and picked him up and hauled him off to be sold. And he was sold through several channels and, and eventually arrived at Penny's while he was still a very, um, very young baby gorilla. So she said that he, again, only occasionally, not most mornings, that he would wake up and signal bad people kill gorillas, bad people kill gorillas over and over, just those three words, but that, and, and that is presumably something he'd witnessed, but he didn't say, he didn't want to tell her about this any other time. So she thought he Dreaming. was having a post-traumatic uh-huh. wow. you know, dream about reenact, the, you know, because PTSD dr- dreams do enact the, the 
worse traumas repetitively. Um, And I know that some other annual behaviorists think that Penny sort of is awfully liberal in her interpretation of, of what the gorillas yeah, yeah. fairly simple short signs yeah. mean. So I've I've definitely heard some people pushing back about this, but I yeah. tend to believe those are yeah. dream reports. Well, what about it's dogs? Tr- like you'll see dogs oh, cats that, and that dogs. are sort of they running in their and, sleep. Yeah. Yeah. They'll even sometimes wake up. There's some hilarious YouTube videos I highly recommend. And the <laughs> dog will like run into a wall and then wake up. And it just seems to be engaging in a kind of virtual reality. I, I think that, uh, that um, yeah, I once, um, I was once on the Dr. Phil show talking ah. about uh, all kinds of things about dreams, but they had shown me that video like a couple weeks ahead and asked me to comment. And I said, boy, that dog looks like it has REM behavior disorder. And there is a little bit of research that dogs can have this where they're basically acting out their, their dreams because it happens only in dreaming sleep. And th- somebody did a, veterinary study where they brought a couple of these dogs into the lab and they were in REM sleep and and some of the meds that help people with extreme uh, REM behavior disorder help them. So so I knew they were probably going to ask about this, but they sort of ambushed me once we were live on air with, uh, <laughs> we have a call from the owner of the dog in the YouTube. You got video. ambushed on Dr. <laughs> Phil got, about uh, the dog? Well, it's brutal. funny you mention that because we have... <laughs> really, we happen to have the dog here. That's amazing. Wow. So so I talked to the owner about, about their dog's behavior. And actually, it's not, it was the only way one at that time, but I think there are about three different dogs doing similar. But it was the one, it hopped up and just bashed its head into the wall, whereas uh, some of the others lie on their side and run frantically. Yeah, Um, I see my cat doing that too, and I see my cat making these motions as if it's eating, which Mm -hmm. would be pretty much probably all my cat dreams about, which is just, (laughs) but he he looks like he's eating all the time. But is this to suggest in any way that animals have a waking imagination like they have some ability to imagine in any way i mean we don't but it's impossible to know that isn't it right i mean we we know how similar and to some extent different their secondary visual cortex which is the area Uh we use to imagine is i mean i think (laughs) the best guess is that they have some degree of waking imagination that's Mm -hmm. probably lesser and different from ours and that they're probably at least most mammals who have clear rapid eye movement sleep are probably experiencing something dreamlike. I, I was thinking that uh, along these lines, like uh, Darwin in the um, in the Descent of Man is sort of like going through what are the things that, you know, have generally been separating humans from other animals. And then he has this great line, which is, uh, he says, dreaming is the involuntary art of poetry. And I like this idea because animals, like you said, in the case of the gorilla, it could be uh, advantageous to have some memories, traumatic ones, such that they help you survive in waking yeah. life in a world of predators. You know what I mean? Like, So no, I can imagine what, yeah, where dreaming I mean. would be that's selected That's what I'm wondering, for. whether it's an evolutionarily <laughs> yeah. useful thing to have, that it's like warning you about stuff. I, yeah. That is exactly, that, that. most of my colleagues don't necessarily agree with that, but I think really? that, that oh. post-trauma dreams are 
Well, psychologists are not that evolutionarily inclined. Damn psychologists, man. I could say it to any biologist and <laughs> and they they'd see it immediately. But huh, I, I mean because in our current society, post-traumatic dreams are mostly really interfere with people's functioning people uh-huh. say it's uh-huh. like the house burning down or getting raped or uh-huh. being in the war again every single night and they wake useful up about feeling that, is or, upset yeah. yeah there's nothing yeah, useful nothing about useful it in about in modern times but from an evolutionary standpoint our instincts are n- not they haven't had any time to evolve for modern civilization. They are what evolved to keep us alive on the savannah when we were wandering around in small Uh tribes among large animals. And I think that the kinds of traumas that could happen then, you know, the tribe on the other side of the hill comes over and attacks your village or a tiger tries to break in the door of your hut in the Uh middle of the night. Those those could happen again and feeling like it just happened because you have this nightmare every night makes a lot of sense. Whereas Mm -hmm. in modern society, if your house is burned down, it can't burn down. If you've been in a horrible car accident, you're really no likelier to get in another one or statistically barely likelier than someone who hasn't. So that's what what Stephen was articulating is exactly (laughs) what I think about about post-trauma dreams happening that they are happening to scare us, that it's not useful now and their techniques to try to make it stop happening. But I think it evolved because it was useful. But I think all all dream content probably was useful in some way, but not the point of most dreams. Interesting. Now, in terms of post-traumatic dreams and stuff, you work in the realm of lucid dreaming with these people and stuff like that. What what, what is it that you do in treating or dealing with people with post-traumatic dreams? Um, I, I have done research on lucid dreams. I do work with lucid dreams, but not for that purpose un, un, unless somebody is already a really, really adept lucid dreamer. But when everybody, when people first hear about the idea that you can realize you're dreaming while you're dreaming. Uh-huh. And control it in some way and manipulate um, it. Yes. A lot of people, especially the ones who haven't had many of them, kind of immediately think, oh, that would be great because then I could (laughs) change my nightmares to not (laughs) be scary. I can do really well on that math exam. Yeah, then then I could make myself, you know, like practice the math or figure out a math (laughs) problem in my dream. All these all these like really useful things to do with it. However, if your purpose is to have a particular type of dream, to change your nightmare, to dream more about a particular topic, to try to have a problem solving dream, it is again, not hundred percent effective, but much, much likelier to be to do what we call dream incubation, which is just a bedtime intent about what your dream content will be. Uh-huh. And it is way easier to tell yourself that the next time I have that recurring dream or that post-traumatic dream starts, it will take this other path. But also tonight in my dream, I want to dream something related to solving whether it's a personal problem or that that because just that bit of content, if you focus on that and try to hold that in your memory, that our, our brain areas for memory are somewhat active, damped down, mm. but that but they're there. So that's a pretty modest demand of your 
of your dreaming brain, where is the prefrontal area that's what's got to notice, oh, this isn't this isn't my waking world. I must be dreaming. <laughs> that's actually much more damped down. So you're wow. asking your dream to do something that's somewhat more unnatural to most people's brain state when they're when they're dreaming. So it's an unnecessary intervening. And also once you become lucid and know you're dreaming, it's it's not automatic that you then can control anything you want uh-huh. to. You can think of trying to control uh-huh. things and maybe get some control, but but that's like two difficult steps instead of the easier one. Uh-huh. And in my studies, just having people incubate a um, dream about a particular problem. They picked like objective waking life. Some were homework problems because these were all college students. Others were, <laughs> so, were something homework. else. Damn. Uh-huh. So they were they they chose a problem and they chose a backup problem uh, in case they accidentally solved their problem while telling themselves that they wanted to dream about it. They thought of their problem, oh, a simple phrase. Oh, right. They formed an image of it Very as they good. were falling control. asleep. That's funny. That's dream incubation. So in doing this every night for a week, um, 50% of of them had a dream that they and the judges, and there's pretty perfect agreement on this part of it, that they they agreed was about the problem. 50% Uh dreamed on the topic of their problem. And and what's especially interesting is a good proportion of the failures of people who had no dream about the problem were people who didn't recall a dream all week. Aha, okay. Real solutions. Not like like feed your homework to a giraffe or something. It's just like (laughs) real solutions, really effective um, solutions. But for solutions, um, one third of the students rated themselves as having a dream that solved the problem. And one fourth of the objective raters who didn't know which dream paired with with which so that um, is something thought. that's really so something. and and the difference on that they they almost all agreed on hitting the topic but the students saw some as solving it that they had to sort of describe metaphorically where they got the answer from the dream whereas the judges only had the dreams so it had to be kind of explicit in the dream not something uh-huh. that but, led but, to the uh, student going oh that's a symbol for yeah yeah uh, Can so, I so a... that's a very high that's a very yeah, yeah, high rate really high, yeah. Yeah. much yeah. higher than i would have thought time to pay some bills we'll be right back And we're back. I'm curious about whether um, you call this incubation. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, I for, I, for example, would like to see my dead father, like, in my dreams. Like, that's something that I want to, to see. And I'm wondering, can I incubate the visitation of my father? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, this, this uh, again, it doesn't work. A hundred percent of the time, yeah, even sure. if you do oh, it sure. for a week yeah. straight, but uh-huh. it, but it it works a fair bit of the time for. Um, it's not going to work for people our age on average quite as well as uh-huh. this group was. College students at uh-huh. pretty much peak years of dream recall. So so that rate of just not having a dream recalled at all in the week is going to be up for older okay. people. But it's, it it still it still works a fair bit of the time on pretty much any kind. Not for the solution again. And that depends on the difficulty of the problem and the motivation. It's, but just for the topic, um, it will be similar whether it's dream about a person, dream about a place, 
Um, it it sounds a lot like hypnosis or post-hypnotic suggestion or something. Mm. And what's the relationship to that? What's the relationship between dreaming and hypnosis? Because it sounds like hypnosis a little bit in some way. Self-hypnosis. question. You should should be a researcher. You You should be a researcher. Thank you very much. Oh, time. Jeez. Finally, somebody on the show has said I asked a good question. Thank you, doctor. Eventually, you're bound to hit one, man. Thank you. Okay, yeah, so what's, um, what, what is there a correlation? Because it very much sounds like it. Uh, there's, a, there's a correlation. You're using the right word. But Thank it's you. actually, it's a modest correlation that does not account for the majority uh-huh. of the variants in either hypnotizability or dream recall. But they do they do correlate. There's some, re- there's some relationship there. They each account for a proportion of the other. But they're, they're not at all the same exact yeah, yeah. Individual and, and hypnotism, it's a it's a real phenomenon, hypnotism. I mean, it's like yes. it's something is really happening. It's it's something you can really do to people. It's something because you know, I I I, I, I believe it to a certain extent, but sometimes when I see people sort of, you know, Steve and I talk all the time about sort of people who have been abducted by aliens and stuff and they're hypnotized and they tell this extraordinary narrative. And I'm sometimes not that I don't believe it entirely, but I sometimes wonder. And so I'm often a little dubious about hypnotism. Is it really a real phenomenon? It's it's definitely a real phenomenon. One of the things you said in, in there is is more of a no. It's not mainly something you do to someone. Mm-hmm. The um, How deep a trance someone will go into and whether they can open their eyes and report hallucinating something that's not there or whether they can have surgery without any anesthesia, oh. uh, which is a more objective <laughs> no, test of it. Yeah, yeah, I've seen, yeah. Um, th- those differences in whether you're just going to feel a little relaxed or whether you're not going to feel pain during surgery, those are much more differences in the subject than differences in the hypnotist and their skills and what technique they use. A hypnotist can definitely tap in to potential that people have that they didn't know they had, or even if they know they have a more than averagely vivid imagination or ability to block out things that they want to block out. Often, often they'll say that hypnotist yeah, they're sort of that way, but this hypnotic experience is the, is the strongest experience in that direction of either blocking things that weren't there or conjuring up things that, that weren't. Um, but, but you won't get someone where you quiz them on um, when you picture something, how real do you see it? And they say, well, I hear that phrase about picturing things in your mind's eye, but I've never really known, you know, I know my wife has blue eyes, but I don't see her eyes when I mm-hmm. try to picture them. Somebody that will say, you ask them if they had an imaginary playmate as a child. No, uh, they don't understand how that would function. The people who just like answer all the imagination questions <laughs> as mm. I've never quite gotten what that means. They are, they are at best <laughs> going to feel a little more physically <laughs> relaxed and they may be the ones who will just pretty much not respond to hypnosis. And then the people where you start asking that and Oh my God, not just one imaginary companion, but actually at this Holy age, cow, I yeah. had this whole horse herd that followed me around everywhere. Wow. Amazing. And at another, at another susceptible. stage, yeah, there, very there were these susceptible. other group of pirate kids and they would yeah. sit next to me in class and sometimes yeah. I get so distracted by them that I wouldn't hear the teacher. And, um, you know, the, the, the people that, yeah. um, 
you know, the, so the people are imagination the prone. Extreme. People who yes. are, ima- yeah. So, yes. so uh, uh, and oh, that that predicts a lot about how much they're going to respond to to hypnosis. Um, so, but you do, you don't know exactly until you actually do the procedure. But but the um, thing that that scares me about hypnosis, and I I kind of was hoping it wasn't real, is that it suggests to me that. Somebody could, if they were some Svengali type, could get in and turn me into a puppet of some kind. Like they could get into the inner citadel of my mind and like get me to do like well, I mean, join I a cult. And I, I think that charisma and suggestibility both have a little bit of overlap with hypnosis, mm-hmm. but I don't think they're at all the same. You know, I, I, I think you would just draw them as circles that you know, all three overlap each other a little bit because what I said about it matters much more, like the odds that you, Stephen, could be hypnotized to do anything someone told you radically against your own moral values. Rob the first national bank of Delaware, Steve. (laughs) That's very low if we just take you and I don't know much about your, your hypnotizability, very low odds. But if I had 300 people that I could work on, somebody one for of, sure. One of them would step forward. Yeah, to there's rob a, the bank. Um, rob there's the bank a, for me. Yeah, there's a, there's a famous experiment that the that was originally a classified um, military-funded experiment that Martin Orne did. Uh, right around the time the Manchurian candidate, uh-huh. um, f- the f- earlier version of that film came out, um, which you could, human subjects committees did not exist back then. The military was getting to see this, not, uh, not yes. other psychologists in his department. <laughs> sure. So, um, so, so the study was he, he gave this big, um, I forget if it was the Harvard or Stanford group scale of hypnotic susceptibility, but one of the very stan- standard scales that where you you do a group induction, everybody's in a room together, so you're not timing the induction individually. It's it's a very crude version of hypnosis, but but you get people into some kind of hypnotic trance and you give them some suggestions. Your arm is floating up. Mm-hmm. There's a balloon mm-hmm. tied to your wrist. Your <laughs> hands are being pulled together. You can't sure. pull them apart. Um, onto some simple, um, th- there's a fly buzzing around you and you watch for people swatting it. Um, so, so it's kind of got these from very simple, most people given hypnotic induction would pass this on up to fairly high hypnotizable suggestions. So he had them in, they'd signed up on a subject sheet to participate in this. This was very, um, you know, they knew they were volunteering. Um, and he then um, he then invited um I think he invited them back for a stronger test. I'm forgetting that stage, but at, at stage one or stage two, he gave them a post-hypnotic suggestion. You will not remember this once you're awake, but on Thursday evening of next week, you will return to this building at seven o'clock and um, and you will not know why you're doing it, but you will really? do this. Jeez. And so people who showed up wow. were then hypnotized and put through some more tests and told they wouldn't remember having been there. 
Um, and then they were more individually told that they were going to show up for individual continuations of this. And none of this was consented to. I mean, you so could not yeah, do this yeah. now. You couldn't do this now. But he not, only, he not only could do this, but he wow. could get funding from the U.S. government. Sure. So, uh, so he then, in the, individual, in the individual sessions... He um, he gives them a gun and he tells them to go to a certain address, ring the doorbell, oh, and when on. the person it's <laughs> amazing, a while ago, really Cold War, um, yeah, very very much Cold War. Wow! You ring the doorbell. Yeah. When someone answers the door, pull the trigger. Wow! Holy God! Holy cow! Now, the gun was not only loaded, but it was a gun that had, you know, had 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 the um, the barrel right. It was not off. Good. Right, yeah. could okay. not could not be loaded. Still, um, it, wow. but, but it was it was a completely realistic looking. Incredible! Wow, that's how many bananas. people did that? Like, how many people um, went to a door? Um, probably a fair number. I, I, I'm forgetting the exact statistics for went to door. <laughs> Even followed through on ringing, pulled trigger. Yeah. I mean, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does yeah, drop sure. trails off. Sure, but you just yeah. like wake up, like, what am I doing here? Yeah, I just got in bed with you. At least, yeah. uh, at least the majority <laughs> at least went to the door and did wow. something. Um, and a really significant number of people pulled the, pulled trigger, the trigger when somebody answered the door. Now, this was, of course, a research confederate of his that was answering the door. <laughs> was sure. Some stranger. junior guy just. It yeah. was a. You know, it was a unfireable gun, oh my God, and it was bananas. a person who expected somebody to show up at their door <laughs> oh and God. potentially point a gun at them. Oh, poor um, guy, just all day long, just opening the door to people and like then, a gun at him. And then, although there's some potential for people to actually do it, but the amnesia not to fully work. So I uh -huh. assume some people were upset by this, I but bet. that wasn't sure. reported. Yeah. But the majority were doing the Manchurian candidate thing where they did it and no then problem. they had no memory of having shown up at somebody's wow. door and Incredible. pulled the trigger and had the person still That's standing there perfectly healthy. Um, so oh, the there a lot of them were lay hypnotists training, not the mental health professional or medical uses of hypnosis. The people that do that kind of weekend training and become a hypnotist, yeah. they they will often say that you can't be, hypnosis cannot make you do something that is against, against your moral your standards. Moral. And that's just not true for yeah, that doesn't the seem most extremely there 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 are two um there are two cases that came to court where somebody in both cases it was a man who in one case was having an affair with this woman and in the other case who just was very infatuated with her uh -huh. um who was doing hypnosis with her in professional context one was her dentist and i forget what the other oh one my was God. <laughs> this is amazing um, the worst. And in, in both cases the hypnotist told the woman that he wanted to be with and in one case was already having an affair with um told her that he was giving her a gun and that she was going to shoot her husband uh-huh holy and um and, but that she would not remember him having told her this and <laughs> and and both these women ended up getting charged with murder however sure. very different things happened uh, one woman did this. This wasn't the swinging dentist in both cases. These are two different cases. <laughs> the swinging um, dentist. 
<laughs> this wasn't the dentist. There's two different cases. Two different cases. These are two different yeah, okay. cases, okay. Um, and the, and the the details were slightly different, but it was gun in both cases. Yeah. And one one woman went home and shot her husband. And at first she had no idea. She was very confused about why she had shot her husband. Mm. But but later when she had a therapist and she was being evaluated all, she began to get back this vague really? memory that he told her to. And and it was it was publicly knowledge, but I think that may have been the dentist. Anyway, it was known that this man was doing hypnosis with her for something, not just really? obviously not for. So, so that was one woman. But the other woman, he handed her a gun. He said, you're going to go home and shoot your husband. And she opened her eyes and shot the hypnotist. Whoa. Whoa. She was Holy also, cow. she was also tried for murder. Um, <laughs> yes, I should, I should imagine she was. That's crazy. I've not heard of either one of those things. That's so I mean, those two, those two outcomes. Um, uh, that, and those that held up in court that that was. I mean, that <laughs> yeah, sounds like well, the Twinkie so defense wow. has worked before. They, yes, too. yeah, they both, they both, they both got off. It well, was like sleepwalking murder. Firmly established yeah. that the men were doing well, hypnosis. It's like the people them, saying they were. Yeah, people yeah. saying they were asleep and murdering their wives. There, oh no, like there that. are there are both sleepwalking Which, and and dream linked cases yeah. about murders where um, you're having a dream but, but, that you're yeah, killing somebody those have gone either way the two hypnosis ones the the uh the women were both acquitted i mean they were charged oh, yeah. and taken to court but they they were eventually acquitted but the um the dream and sleepwalking ones have different ones have come holy cow well, uh, this has been amazing. We've gone way over than we usually do. We kept you longer than normal. Thank, <laughs> thanks for hanging but out with fascinating. us. Fascinating. Oh, yeah, it's no, been. There's actually so much more I wanted to ask yeah. you. So there, we may have to do something again, or uh, I'll come up to the Harvard and bother you because there's actually a lot of other things I still wanted to get to. It was really. Yeah, oh, I you. enjoyed it. Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you. Chinwag is a production of Treefort Media and Touchy Feely Films, hosted and executive produced by Paul Giamatti and Stephen Asma. Executive producers for Treefort are Kelly Garner and Lisa Ammerman. Dan Carey is executive producer for Touchy Feely. Our series producer is Rachel Whitley Bernstein. Our associate producer is Andrew Miller. Original theme music by Luke Topp, with additional music by Via Mardot. Oscar Guido is our executive in charge of production. Tom Monahan is head of audio for Treefort. Animation created by Alex Sokol. Audio production, supervision, and editing by Maxwell Carney. Additional audio assistance and mixing by Jeff Neal. With additional production management from Renee Levesque. Clara Wong is Celestial Empress of Benevolent Knowledge. Lastly, for more information, go to chinwagpod.fm and find us on Instagram or TikTok at chinwagpod or on Twitter at chinwag underscore pod.